And welcome back, everybody, to the Cold War Cast. I am your host, Ryan Llewellyn. This is a podcast where we discuss the history and the pop culture of the Cold War. Today, we're going to talk about the Dwight D. Eisenhower National System of Interstate and Defense Highways, or what we colloquially call the interstate system here in the United States. This is something, well, we probably all use it, maybe almost on a daily basis. In fact, when I was putting these notes together this morning, I was actually sitting right next to I-35 and didn't even really think about it at the time. But it is an important part of a lot of people's lives. The interstate system, for those of you maybe not in the United States that aren't too familiar with it, um, I would say it it probably is one of the most impressive and ambitious construction projects of all time. It's some um, 40,000 miles of uh, very high quality roads that crisscross the United States. Um, You know, you can go north to south, east to west from, you know, pretty much anywhere on the interstate system. It is pretty impressive. And this is a product of a vibrant and expanding country and maybe one that was a little stir crazy in the years following the Second World War. But the interstate system is also a product of Cold War considerations and is steeped in Cold War mythos. All right, so right after World War II, America became a lot more mobile. A lot of people were uprooted from the war. So, you know, young men and and women plucked from their hometowns and, you know, BFE or whatever and sent halfway across the world and across the country and new military bases built all over the country, um, new factories, and there were huge migrations within the country to go to these factories and, and bases and so forth. And also there was the rise of the personal automobile, which, you know, of course was around before World War II, but became increasingly more popular and a lot more common for the average family to have have a car and you know in the 50s following world war ii but the road system in the united states left something to be desired and you know it wasn't that bad but it it definitely could be a lot better I'm sorry, we've got a uh, little bit of old-time Cold War cast charm going on. Um, Both our animals are down here. Um, You know, my dog Murray that occasionally people would hear drinking water sometimes in the uh, old episodes. And also, we got a cat named Simon recently. And, uh, you know, he usually stays out of the way, but he's got a collar on with a little bell, and he's kind of running around here. But, um, you know, done is better than none, so we're just going to keep going forward. Anyway, President Eisenhower knew that things could be a lot different for our transportation system. And this is for a couple reasons. For one, back in 1919, when he was just a junior officer in the Army, I believe he was a a captain or something at the time, he was put on an expedition that was to go from more or less Washington, D.C. to San Francisco with a, a fairly large military convoy and, you know, pretty much all the different vehicles that the military had at the time or, you know, um, representation of the military's vehicle fleet 
to go cross country and see what type of problems they would encounter just from a logistical uh, perspective. And apparently it turned into a nightmare. It took about 60 some days to get from East Coast to the West Coast, basically. Um, Once they got outside of the built-up areas of the industrial Midwest and the East Coast and, you know, got out into the Great Plains in the West, you know, there's kind of not really a whole lot there. Um, Just almost like a big black hole, basically, at the time. And, you know, I think some of this, too, we have to take with a grain of salt that when they do you know, little studies like this or expeditions, they don't really want the results to be, well, everything's fine. Yeah, we can make this work. You know, they want an outcome. So, you know, maybe they hammed it up a little bit that it was worse than it was, but still it was very difficult to get from one side of the country to the other, uh, especially with large military vehicles. So they knew there were problems. And also Eisenhower had experience in Germany in World War II and saw their Autobahn, which was and you know still is the, uh, the gold standard of highway systems in the world. And the Autobahn was a huge asset strategically and, and you know industrially military for Germany during the Second World War. And even allied forces end up using it too. And that was very important to uh, the logistical train of the allies as they advanced uh, eastward into Germany. So for the U.S. economy to continue growing at the rate it was back in the 50s, which it was going just absolutely bonkers at the time, we really needed some sort of infrastructure like this to improve transportation. Now, Commercial interests were probably the number one consideration to get the interstate, but there were also very real defense consideration in such a project. And this interstate thing had to be kind of sold as a defense project, and that put it more in the federal government's wheelhouse as opposed to, say, building something to aid commerce, um, saying that it's... um, you know, defense related, that that makes it um, their job, basically. And also gave it a little bit more of an emotional pull to get the project through. So here's an analogy, I guess. Picture yourself as a young college student, and you want to go to Cancun on spring break, but you're going to need to ask your parents for a couple thousand dollars in order, you know, or whatever it costs to make this trip work out. You're not going to go to your parents and say, well, you know, I want to go on this trip because, you know, I'm going to spend the whole time partying and have a great time. You would probably say that it's a good opportunity to practice your Spanish and have a enriching cultural experience, Um, you know, maybe experience the biodiversity of the jungle or go see the go see the ruins at Chichen Itza or something like that and turn it into something that will be a very good educational experience and you know what you might be kind of right um that might be part of the truth but it's not your primary motivation and it was kind of the same thing with the interstates where you know the facil- facilitating commerce was the main consideration, but um, 
you know, there are also real defense considerations and packaging it that way made it a lot more appealing somehow. Now, World War One and World War Two were both uh, huge mobilizations for the United States, but things were a little different in both of those wars. Um, both of them, the American entrance was telegraphed quite a bit, I would say. And, um, you know, Pearl Harbor conspiracy theories uh, aside, it, you know, we could look at this war and see that it was going on and that, you know, we were probably going to be involved in it. And also, we joined both of these wars in progress. So there wasn't a urgent need for the United States to get in the war. You know, it wasn't, um, time wasn't of the essence. It's, we decided to get in this war, and we're just going to go. But things could be a little bit different in World War III. Um, there could be a greater need for speed. You know, the Soviet tanks could um, could start heading west, and if the United States doesn't get up there and, you know, have a strong show of force, well, we could lose the war and take a lot of casualties with the troops that we already had forward stationed in Germany, or if something happened in Asia, um, you know, say Korea or Japan or whatever, um, could be a disaster. So we needed the ability to move troops and equipment very, very fast. And having this really good road system was one way to do it. Now, the United States was just coming off the Korean War. Um, I don't think I said what year we're talking about here. Um, we're talking about the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956. So you know, in the years immediately following the Korean War is when this is all going on. But when the United States first got involved in Korea, um, it was a logistical nightmare, to put it mildly. Um, there was a lot of problems moving troops. Um, you know, especially there was a heavy dependence on reservists and getting the reservists' equipment and so forth to embarkation points on uh, on the West Coast. That was difficult, and that cost a lot of time, and time equals blood in these wars. So we were really caught flat-footed, um, you know, thinking about the logistic needs of the Second World War, which were massive, but there wasn't that the same sort of time considerations as, as there was on this one where we needed to act fast. So we didn't want to get caught like that um, anymore. And also during this time, like I just kind of hinted, the United States had increased um, military commitments around the globe compared to, you know, just a, a decade and a half ago. So, you know, you've got the uh, huge commitment with Europe and then, you know, a lot of little flashpoints in Asia that were uh, possibilities. So th that was something that that was a little bit different and definitely a, uh, a Cold War consideration. But another thing that really spurred on the construction of the interstate system was the atomic threat. So the Soviets had just recently gotten the atomic bomb, and for the first time ever, really, the United States mainland had the possibility of being attacked. 
Now, with the interstate, it would be possible, theoretically, to evacuate the cities a lot more rapidly. And also the infrastructure of the cities. So, you know, just as an example, let's say we knew that Soviet bombers were heading towards Seattle, for instance. You know, well, you know, maybe we've got a little bit of time to load up some of the uh, most sensitive machinery at, say, the Boeing plant or whatever and put those on trucks and head them out to the country. You know, just kind of like what the Soviets had to do when the Germans were invading and they had to disassemble factories basically and you know ship them off to Kazakhstan or whatnot and you know also like I just hinted uh, keep in mind this is the atomic era so the atomic bombs would be delivered by planes Uh, you know we're talking warnings typically in the um, the hours compared to say ICBMs where we're talking minutes basically so it is, you know, I know sometimes we might look at this and say being able to evacuate the cities would be a mess because there'd be such a short notice. Um, you know, maybe they could probably do a okay, decent job back then. Um, who knows? Fortunately, it didn't come to that where we had to put it to the test. But now back in 1955, though, they did do some dry runs. And um, over that summer, there were a lot of American cities that basically practiced evacuating just to see how it worked out. And there's actually a really cool film that you can find on YouTube. It's called A Day Called X. Um, I believe Periscope Films on their YouTube channel has it. And um, they've got a lot of cool stuff, uh, Cold War related and otherwise. But it's a little documentary. I think it's maybe about an hour long, if that, about Portland, Oregon, and um, you know what what their evacuation drill looks like at that time too. I recommend you checking that out. It is uh, interesting, and it's also interesting to see Portland as kind of like a uh, a normal city. I guess it's kind of got a different stereotype these days. You know, you think it's full of, um, you know, blue-haired vegans and so forth. and Just everybody looks so normal back then, and it um, kind of interesting in that regard as well, too. But Richard Nixon, back in 1955, gave a speech that got a lot of traction at the uh, governor's convention. And, you know, of course, he was the governor of California at the time, where he said that our road system in the United States was um, full of appalling inadequacies, which is kind of a funny way to put it, and mentioned the atomic threat, you know, almost a dozen times during the speech, that if we did have good roads, we would be able to evacuate the cities. And, um, you know, that gives it something of an emotional pull to getting the interstate put in. So it's either you're for the interstates, which means increased commerce and also means saving lives in the event of an atomic war, which a lot of people back then were absolutely convinced was going to happen. And, you know, for pretty good reason, too. Um, the world was was tense. It's kind of easy for us to look back and not take that in consideration, but people thought it was more likely than not that something would um, happen between the United States and the Soviet Union. But if you're not for the interstate, that means you, that means you want to see all of our stuff blown up and lots of people killed. So 
they um, really did a good job with that one as well, too. Now, there's another urban legend, I would say, that has to do with the Cold War, that the interstate system, um, you know, one mile and five has to be perfectly flat and able for um, planes to land on it. And that is an urban legend. Um, There's really no um, guidelines for the interstate that, you know, make it so a plane would have to land there. Um, The idea of turning the country into one big landing strip, basically, is kind of interesting. But that's not to say that there are not some stretches of the interstate that could potentially be used to land a plane. It's just... um, that's definitely not most of it. Um, you know, if you think about it, if a plane lands, you know, the interstate's so wide, and then you've got the shoulder, um, you've got billboards on the side, buildings, and so forth. So um, it, it wasn't built with that in mind. And that's not to say that some planes haven't tried to land on the interstate in emergencies before, and um, usually it doesn't go so hot when they do. Um, so it's wasn't something that was a real consideration, but it definitely does sound cool. Now, I'm sitting here, well, outside of Des Moines, Iowa. And, you know, I grew up in Des Moines. And all throughout school, well, not all throughout school, but, you know, during my childhood, I remember hearing that we would make the target list for the Soviet Union because I-35, which goes from... uh Duluth, Minnesota, so, you know, damn near the Canadian border, all the way down to the Mexican border, and I-80, which goes from San Francisco to basically Chicago, and, um, you know, very easily straight on into the East Coast from there. Uh, I think I-80 ends in Chicago, and turns into something else, but, um, you know, more or less a, a crisscross between north, south, and east, west, right in the middle of the country. So that it was likely in the event of an atomic or, or nuclear war that the Soviet Union would probably drop two bombs on Des Moines. And they would both be on the uh, the mix master between I-35 and uh, I-80. There would be one on the northeast side of the uh, metro area and one on the southwest to completely take that out and you know probably one on downtown as well too just uh just for good measure all right well i'm gonna end this episode right here um it feels good to be behind the microphone and um you know i'm glad to uh be doing this again and i'm glad to be thinking about the cold war and participating in the discussion about the cold war as well too so you know just like what i said in the introductory episode this is going to be a little bit of a work in progress. Um, things are just kind of falling into place. So, you know, this show right now is going to have some rough edges. Um, that's okay. But like I said earlier, um, done is better than none, you know. So we're just going to keep rolling and hope that we can get everything going on the fly. If you want to connect with me right now, the best thing to do is go to Instagram and look up Cold Cast and add me there. And um, that's how we'll we'll stay connected for now. Um, I'm working on a web page right now, and I will probably get the 
alt media, um, you know, such as uh, Minds and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe get BitChute, who, who knows, who knows what we'll do, uh, maybe get Twitter back going again, so, um, you know, we'll just put one foot in front of the other, and I will be back very soon with a new episode. Thanks for listening.